Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. Hey, it's Johnny King in the house. What's going on? Thank you for being here for another show and another episode of the Johnny King Show. I'm excited to jump into the second part of this kind of two part series on the father wound and the wounds effect. So, if you have not listened to the previous uh, episode, check it out. Uh, you'll probably want to listen to that prior to listening to this one. Um, but uh, if you have already listened to it, then let's just dive right in. And what I was talking about in the previous episode is that every man carries a wound. Um, and I think in many different ways, so does every woman. But I'm not talking to, to women at this moment. Um, what I really feel like is that the message that a, that a man gets when he's younger, that he's not a man, that he doesn't have what it takes, it, the message feels, as it says here in... Wild Heart by John Eldridge, um, discovering the secret of a man's soul. He says the message feels final and true, absolutely true, because it's delivered with such force. Our reaction to it shapes our personality in significant ways. From that flows the false self. Most of the men you meet are living out a false self, a pose which is directly related to his wound. Um, and I talk about this in a previous Episode two, where in high school, one of my teammates, who really did not like me at the time, called me out. He's like, you're a fucking fake king. You're a fucking fake. You know, I see right through you. You try to act like this, but I see you. I see the real you, and you're a fucking fake. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, that's all I said to him. I'm like, you're absolutely right. It's like the first dude that had the, the balls, and he was extremely masculine, and I looked up to him a ton, to actually call me out on it. And I was like, yeah. Yeah, and, and yet that was like my biggest fear was to, to be called out and to be recognized for that. And it was as a result of that, that wound of not having really a, a present father. Um, and again, I, I don't want to be <laughs> – I love my dad so much, and we have a great relationship. I don't want to be throwing him under the bus because he is an amazing father to me now. He's learned so much, and he's healed so much. And thank God he's able to do this uh, later on in years – We've done it a lot. We've both actually healed ourselves over the last 10 to 12 years. And we've had a ton of amazing conversations. I'm just speaking, though, from the perspective of what my experience was growing up, which was that he wasn't there. Okay, so just facts. And then, and then my interpretation of <laughs> those facts is my story, of course. Um, but he's got his relevant facts. And, and like I've talked to him, he had, oh, man, like he, he was, you know, when I was young, of course, he was my age now and he was just struggling, struggling to keep food on the table, struggling to find his own self-worth, struggling to keep his business afloat, like struggling to kind of deal with the, the elephant in the room in his marriage, which was that, you know, he and my mom both knew that he was gay, but it was like so hush hush, you know? So anyways, this, uh, these episodes tend to be, <laughs> filled with random tangents so you have to kind of bear with me but going back to to the book here um you know the the message 
that is delivered with the wound um, is simply this, as it says in the book. You are on your own. Uh, and his name is actually John Eldridge. So it says, you are on your own, John. There is no one else in your corner, no one to show you the way, and above all, no one to tell you if you are or are not a man. And the core question of your soul has no answer and can never have one. And what does a boy do with that? Uh, first, he says, I became an unruly teen. I got kicked out of school and had a police record. We often misunderstand that behavior as adolescent re- rebellion, but those are cries for involvement, cries for engagement. And I often say that like every form of communication is either an act of love or a cry for help. And once I learned that, even in having, you know, heated, you know, maybe <laughs> conversations or just seeing, you know, people, whether it be in, you know, again, online or in interactions and relationships, I can oftentimes catch myself to be like, I start to take offense. And I'm like, no, nope, this is either an act of love or if it doesn't feel like an act of love, it's probably a cry for help. She, he, they just need support. And it gives me that, that ability to kind of stop for a second and put myself in their shoes again and be like, what do they, what are they really needing right now? They don't need me to, to fly off the cuff and then curse them out and walk away. That's the exact wrong thing, the last thing that they need, right? So, but that was, that was true, to, true for me too. Like I didn't have necessarily, necessarily adolescent behavior that was rebellious uh, beyond, I guess, maybe third grade. But up until third grade, all of my acting out, because I was very much the problem child, especially in third grade, like I said in the last uh, podcast episode, was kind of based in that it was just a cry out for engagement and so there was the 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 near casualty of my marriage and there was certainly the casualty of my own heart as he says in the book for to live a driven life you have to literally shove your heart down or drive it with whips you can never admit need never admit brokenness and this is the story of the creation of that false self And if you had asked my wife during the first 10 years of our marriage if we had a good relationship, she probably would have said yes. But if you had asked her if something was missing, if she sensed a fatal flaw, she would have immediately been able to tell you, he doesn't need me. That was my vow, you see. I won't need anyone. After all, the wound was deep and unhealed, and the message it brought seemed so final, I am on my own. And I resonate so much with that. Um, That's a big part of my you know, he talks about a near casualty of his marriage. I did have a casualty of a previous marriage, and that was a big part of it. Um, it had so, so little to do with her as it did with me just seeking my own <laughs> warrior's heart, if you will, as it says here in, in Wild of Heart, this book. Um, I was just asking that question, like, do I have what it takes? Because I really did not believe it. I did. And I would keep taking that question to her in different behaviors or questions or the way that, the ways that I was showing up or not showing up. And if anything, all I did was get more and more uh, validation that I didn't have. I, I, you know, what it took that I was failing miserably uh, in that relationship and, and other subsequent relationships earlier before that, before I got married and, and afterwards, uh, you know, I was uh, by far, you know, absolutely self-sabotaging um, the very things that I wanted most in life. And so that was it though, um, that I was kind of stumbling to see if I could ever figure out what it is that I, that I could ever (laughs) find in the answer of, do I have what it takes? And this goes on to say another friend, Stan is a successful attorney and genuinely good guy. 
When he was about 15, though, his father committed suicide, stuck a gun in his mouth, and pulled the trigger. His family tried to put it all behind them, sweep it under the rug. They never spoke of it again, and the message delivered by that gruesome blow was something like this. Your background is very dark. The masculine in your family cannot even be spoken of. Anything wild is violent and evil. The effect was another sort of vow. Quote, I will never do anything even remotely dangerous or risky or wild. I will never be like my dad. Parentheses, how many men live with that vow? I certainly did. That was probably the, the, the biggest thing that uh, I had so much anger and resentment towards my dad that, again, I remember, I mentioned this in a previous podcast episode, I remember walking back to the honeymoon suite. I literally just had, quote, unquote, the best day of my life. I really had an amazing wedding and reception. And as I'm walking back and it's really starting to, to like sink in, like, oh, my God, like that was it. I just had my wedding day. I was filled with absolute dread. And the dread was, I have no idea how to be a good husband. Like, I was so scared because all my life I had been aiming (laughs) at not becoming my father, right? But the funny thing is with, with your reticular activating system in your head, the RAS, that's the thing in your head where like when you're, when you're asleep, you're having dreams, it, you feel like you're actually, you know, living the dream. You, you, it can't decipher between a dream and reality, right? All it is is, fo- you know, whatever it is focusing on, it focuses on that as, as like the thing that you're going towards. And so when I was saying in my head, I do not want to become my dad, there was no like not. <laughs> the, the RAS takes the not, <laughs> the, the word not out of that equation and Mola says, I do, you know, blank, want to be my dad. And so that's who I became in my life. And so the very thing that I feared the most was the thing that I became, which was a workaholic, emotionally kind of distant, uh, absent. I was always traveling in my marriage. And it's no wonder that that whole relationship fell apart. And so I had that vow that I would not want to ever be like my dad. Um, and I won't take one step in that direction as the book continues to read. I will be the nicest guy you will ever meet. <laughs> that was me. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know what? He is. Stan's the nicest guy you could meet. Gentle, creative, caring, soft-spoken. And now he hates that about himself. He hates the thought that he's a pushover, uh, that he won't take you on. He can't say no. can't stand up for himself. And those are the two basic options. Men either overcompensate for their wound and become driven, violent men, or they shrink back and go passive, retreating men. That was more me. Often, it's an odd mixture of both. Okay, so that's the, the, the weird thing. Um, it goes on to say that uh, there's, there's this other guy, uh, Alex, who his father left, just abandoned the family when he was younger, when he was like four and he stood at the window every single day when his dad used to come home from work for a year, waiting for his dad to come. His dad never came. And so this is Alex. He said, remember Alex who stood at the door waiting for his daddy who would never return? You wouldn't in a million years have guessed that 
that was his story if you'd known him in college. He was a man's man, an incredible football player, a hard-drinking, hard-living man that every guy looked up to. He drove a truck, chewed tobacco, loved the outdoors. He used to eat glass. (laughs) I'm serious. It was a sort of frat party trick that he took on, the ultimate display of dangerous strength. He'd literally take a bite out of a glass, uh, chew it slowly, and swallow it. When he worked as a bouncer for a tough bar, it made a pretty impressive show to get the, ref, the roughnecks in line. But it was a show. The whole thing was a macho man persona. And so he said, Charles, you know, the artistic boy, the piano player whose father called him a faggot. What do you think he, happened to him? He never played the piano again after that day. Years later, as a man in his late 20s, he does not know what to do with his life. He has no passion, cannot find a career to love. And so he commit, he cannot commit to the woman he loves, cannot marry her because he is so uncertain about himself. But of course, his heart was taken out way back there in his story. Dave is also in his 20s now, drifting, deeply insecure, and loaded with a great deal of self-hatred. He does not feel like a man, and he believes he never will. Like so many, he struggles with confidence around women and around men he sees as real men. Stuart, whose father abandoned him because he... Uh, because became a man without emotion. His favorite character as a boy was Spock, the alien in Star Trek, who lives solely from his mind. Stuart is not a scientist, and his wife is immensely lonely. And it's interesting to hear so many men who come into my monthly men's meetings here in Denver, so many of them speak of just that lack of confidence, not only around women, but around other men. And I'm talking about straight men, gay men, all of them are feeling the same level of the, uh, levels of anxiety because of that, uh, of that sense of like not knowing exactly how to show up around other men. And that, and that level of those men that show up uh, sometimes, a lot of times, as kind of fake alpha men, the tall, dark, and handsome men who can get women, but then they just take woman after woman after woman after woman after woman, and it can never be enough. Those guys that look the part but are just as deeply insecure and scared as as the more passive men they're all afraid of each other and all insecure (laughs) one just fakes the confidence and the other one just kind of walks in the room and kind of hides in the corner and so that's ultimately a big part of why again like i said in the past podcast i'm doing what i'm doing because these wounds have to be healed they have to be healed. Otherwise, brother, if you're listening to this, if you're feeling like any of this is resonating for you, you will never find the, the purpose in your life. You will never be able to fully show up for your significant other, for, for any children in your life. You will never find that sense of flow or that sense of sense of self-pride. Let's just be honest. And that has probably been the, one of the greatest gifts that I have received. And I remember again, it was like I was 35, 36. I was doing this, um, this personal development course in Northern California at this ranch. And we were doing the, this low ropes course. And if you've ever done these low ropes courses, they're always like these challenges that you do with teamwork, but they always give you like some type of like uh, handicap, if you will, like you can't talk or, you know, uh, guys or women can't do this or that. And this one particular event uh, I had done multiple times uh, over the course of my life. I've just done a lot of low ropes courses, stuff through camp and stuff like that. They gave us these parameters, and I didn't even think. 
I just jumped in. I immediately took, and there's probably like, shit, I don't know, 40 of us, 50 of us. And I just jumped in and I just led from a place of absolute like confidence, but empathy. And, you know, we were ultimately putting people over this like 20 foot wall, right? So you have to lift these people up. And there was a lot of overweight people there, which is, you know, of course, like their greatest nightmare. And I'm like, oh, my heart goes out to them and everyone else. And then the macho men, you know, who are the strong ones, like just ended up working it out. So I just kind of like, boom, boom, you know, this is what we're doing. Cause we only had like two minutes maybe to talk before we had to all go silent. And we crushed this event, right? We got people up and over safely, harmoniously, like in the fastest time that they've seen like all summer or I don't know, whatever the case might be. And then there was all this elation and people were crying and people were hugging me left and right. And I was like, I don't know. But it was that first recognition of like, holy shit, how powerful can I be when I have the confidence, I have the clarity of direction and I come from a place of wholeness versus attempting to be like, oh, I'm going to step up here because this is my opportunity to be a leader. Fuck that. Like I just stepped up because I, I, I knew the answer. And I, and I wanted us to all do it, right? And it was coming from that place of like just truly serving. But that was one of the biggest um, kind of moments that I realized like, oh my gosh, Johnny, look at what you could do in your life if you came from that place more often. And that was the beginning of, of like one of the bigger moments of realizing my own self-worth. I really hadn't seen it. A lot of other people had seen it and told me, but I could never really actually receive it. I thought they were like, that they didn't truly knew me. If they really knew about my, my mistakes or my shortcomings, then they wouldn't actually <laughs> appreciate or validate or respect me as much as they th- that say, they say you know that they were. And so big part of that was like that recognition of like, oh my gosh. And I say all that again, not to impress you, but to press upon you that you have that fucking thing in, in you as well. Like you know it, you would not be listening to these type of podcasts that are uplifting, all about personal development. Like you know deep down inside that the, the pursuit of love and you know success <laughs> in the quote of like you know money or, or material things, you know, deep down inside, all that shit is bullshit if you're not fulfilled and whole. And so that's why this healing has to happen. Otherwise, all you do is kick the can down the road and you give it to the next generations. Okay. It has to be handled by you and you alone. Otherwise it's never going to happen. And so that is where you have to do the work and whether it be through someone like myself or some other type of professional, a coach, a therapist, a counselor, go to, you know, some live events. I could offer you a ton of different suggestions because they're all around, right? You've got Landmark, you've got Tony Robbins, you've got Psy Seminars here in Denver, Colorado and around the country. You've got MITT, you've got uh, so many other ones that I've heard that are kind of corporate leadership ones. They're more personal, like there's so much opportunity actually. It's just scary to step into that. And I do feel like uh, it, it, it's like you have to be willing to, to take an emotional kick in the junk every single day over and over and over and over again until you heal <laughs> and then it no longer hurts. But until then, if you don't, if you're not willing to step into that and have that level of courage, then who's going to be hurt is not only you, but all your friendly fire. It's going to be all the shrapnel that comes off of you when, when you're angry and you don't really know why you're angry. You just feel empty and you're taking it out on your kids, on your spouse, your significant others, your friends, or you completely, uh, you know, go, uh, what's the word? I'm just 
go by yourself. <laughs> you, you cut everyone else out of your life because it's just easier that way. And that's what people do when they start drinking, when they start doing drugs, like whatever the case might be, those vices a lot of times are ways to just bury our heads in the sand. And so if you have any of those addictions, you can get over those addictions and heal yourself by healing the wound. Those are just, you know, I guess really shitty solutions it's not so. Let's not let's not just focus on uh, substance abuse. That's just your really shitty solution for not knowing how to handle and heal the wound. So I totally get it. I totally empathize because my solutions were work, being a workaholic and faking it till I made it, which never worked, and all those things. You have to find that healing. I cannot. Obviously, I cannot say it enough because you will never find that sense of purpose in life and you will never sense feel that sense of absolute fulfillment at your end of days where you'd be like hell yes I fucking showed up and I left an amazing legacy for my for my family my loved ones you know future generations to aspire towards if you're not finding that healing so I'm gonna get off my soapbox <laughs> thank you for joining me once again and as always, I would love to hear from you in terms of any type of feedback, whether you like things, whether you agree, disagree, all, all the above, uh, all is welcome. And I really appreciate you for, for listening. We'll catch up with you soon. All right. Take care. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something that I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at johnnyking, facebook.com backslash johnnykingmenscoach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.